Thanks for checking out this sermon at New Beginnings. As a church, we exist to become an authentic, biblical community. That transforms our city and impacts the world. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make you aware of a few things before we begin. First, we would love to connect with you on our website. NBBCTX.org. There you can find more information about who we are. Additional resources and links to our social media network. As well as an opportunity to give. To what God is doing in and through our church. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Good morning. Whew, okay, uh, good, morning. good morning. There we go. That's a little bit better. Again, uh, if you are a few minutes late into the room this morning, my name is Connor Bales, and I serve as one of the lead pastors on staff here at New Beginnings. And as you just saw uh, from the sermon bumper, uh, we are initiating a brand new sermon series today uh, entitled, Who's Your One? And uh, as a, a family of faith, we are going to challenge ourselves in the area of personal evangelism. And specifically, we are going to ask every single person who calls New Beginnings Baptist Church their home to identify one person that you would be willing to make a personal investment with and to share the good news of the gospel. We believe that if Jesus Christ has changed your life, then that is in fact news that is worthy of telling others so that he might in his grace change theirs as well. And so today we are launching this sermon series with a, a hope and an aim and a prayer that it would literally be transformative in the life of our church and our communities at large. Listen, just imagine with me for a moment how different your family tree might look if everyone in it gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Imagine how different your office might look if God called you to share your faith with some of the men and women that you work with. Imagine how different our neighborhoods could look, our classrooms could look, our sports teams could look, our community would look if you and I would take seriously the instruction of God to share our faith with a lost and dying world around us because we believe that this is, in fact, the expectation of God upon every person who calls Jesus Christ as their Lord. And so with that uh, as our backdrop this morning, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to start reading in verse 18. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 28, this is going to be one of those very familiar passages in God's Word. And here's really the reason for its familiarity. This has been used and taught and preached uh, so many times exhaustively because of its significance and importance and priority in the Christian life. Now, where we are in the narrative, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 28, let me just remind you that Jesus has already gone to Calvary's cross. He's died a death he did not deserve, absorbing the wrath of God as the just payment for our sin penalty. And Jesus has buried in a borrowed tomb, three days later rose victoriously, securing for those of us who have our faith in him, life everlasting with 
uh, God. And so now Jesus in his resurrected body has met his disciples in Galilee and is going to spend the next few weeks giving him, giving these disciples just some last minute instruction on their calling as followers of his. And listen, the instruction that Jesus gives is to his disciples, but it is for all Christians. And so it is important that you and I read this text with the lenses as though Jesus Christ is speaking to us today. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to start reading in verse number 18. If you're there, say, I've got it. Thank you. One person is there. Here we go. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I want to begin our conversation this morning around this great commission of Jesus by giving a statement of conviction that we hold to as a family of faith. This is a statement of belief that we have as a church, and then I want to teach the reason why we hold it directly from the text where we read the words of Jesus Christ Uh, himself. And so here, if you're a note taker, let me encourage you uh, to write this down. Here is the statement of conviction that we hold based upon the great commission of God. The why we go and the how we go are built around and held together by the what we go to do. All right, again, I'm going to say this one more time. The why we go and the how we go are built around and held together by the what we go to do. If you mark or highlight in your Bibles, let me encourage you just to highlight all of these verses in Matthew 28, 18 uh, through 20. And, and let's talk and teach this uh, with the three primary points that we're making in this uh, statement of conviction that we have. The, the first is, let's talk about the why we go. The why we go. Inevitably, all of us would admit this to be true, When we are given instruction or someone tells us what we are to do, we always want to know the reason why we are being told to do it. And listen, if we're being honest, the bigger the ask that is being made of us, then the better the reason has to be given uh, for us to want to do what is being asked. So, for example, um, if you just think about if you're a parent, and you ask your children uh, to clean their room. And, and when your children respond by saying, why, it is not unusual for us as moms and dads to want to say, boy, because I told you so, that's why. And all the parents in the room said, okay, so listen, because we're parents and they are our children, then when we give them minimal instruction that isn't that hard to wrap your mind around, then the reason why they are compelled to want to obey is because we're in charge and have asked them to do it. But listen, 
When the ask is much bigger, then the reason has to be much more compelling. And, and so I have a friend right now who has a son at St. Jude's, and he's receiving uh, chemotherapy treatment for a large uh, mass in his abdomen. And every time they meet with the doctors and the doctors prescribe a new medicine or a different chemotherapy, then the parents naturally want to ask the reason as to why this particular medicine is being prescribed because you're ingesting a poison for the purposes of eradicating what will hopefully be the end of this rogue tumor. So it's important that the doctor explain, well, not because I told you so, but rather because we believe that this particular medicine has shown great progress in attacking this particular type of cancer. And so we have great confidence in, in prescribing this for those reasons. Well, listen, when it, when it comes to the why we go and, and make disciples, the answer is both reasons that I just gave. So first, the why we go is because all authority on heaven and earth belongs to Jesus, and he said, go. A primary evidence of our salvation by God is our obedience to God. Look at me. You can't argue that you're devoted and be disobedient. And Let's just think about who has given this instruction. So when we're asking the question why we go, it's because the God of the universe has said so. So listen, if it makes sense to you and me that our kids don't argue with us as parents when we tell them to clean their room, how much more sense should it make when the God who's numbered the hairs on our head says, this is what I'm instructing for you to do. Make disciples. Why? Because I said so. I'm God and I have instructed you to make disciples. And so the why we go is because literally the God who has all authority on heaven and earth has said to go. But listen, it's more than that. We go because the God who has all authority has said that he'd be with us. Like Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Don't you think it's amazing how confident we can be when we have help to accomplish the hard work we've been asked to do? Well, look, look at me. We haven't been given help from just someone. We've been promised the very presence of the one. That's, that's totally different. My, my daughter Campbell's five years old. She's learning to swim. We were at some friend's house last weekend, um, and, and she was uh, learning to hold her head underwater and try to hold her breath, and, and she's learning to uh, try to navigate jumping off the side of the pool and then swimming back around to the side uh, once she, she, she lands in the water. And so she's navigating you know, what it means to learn uh, to swim. And as she was just beginning this process, she would come to the edge of the pool at the deep end, and then she started trying to jump off of uh, uh, the edge. And then there was a diving rock at our friend's house, and she would get up on the diving rock and then try to jump off to the deep end from, from there. Well, the only thing that would grant her confidence in making this jump 
was if her dad was out in the deep end with my hands held high and my arms extended toward her, promising her a, an assurance, a security that her safety net would be here and her daddy was going to catch her and there was no way that she could fail. Okay, you understand, all authority has been given to Jesus and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Believer, there is never a side of the pool of evangelism where Jesus Christ isn't in the deep end saying, I'm right here, come on. There's never a conversation you're going to have. There's never a room you're going to walk in. There's never a circumstance you're not going to face where Jesus Christ isn't in the water saying, come on in. You're not going to fail because he's promised to be with us. So why do we go? Because he said so. And because he's promised that he will be with us always as we do it. Okay, but let's talk about the how we go. So it makes sense, the why. But now let's talk about the how. Jesus says that we go in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here's what's fascinating about uh, this statement. That I've read this uh, hundreds of times before. And I've always seen uh, the Trinity in the statement that Jesus makes. The idea of one God in three persons. I've always seen that Jesus says you baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So I've always seen uh, the Trinitarian nature of God in the statement that Jesus makes. But I've never picked up on the significance that Jesus says it is singular, but it is the full manifestation of the entirety of God in whose name you go. So listen, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the singular name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here's the point that Jesus is making that you and I should hold on to as well. That when we go and when we make disciples, that we aren't going in our name. We are going in the name of God. Yes, the Father and yes, the Son and yes, the Holy Spirit. So we don't go in our own merit. We don't go in our own gifting. We don't go in our own strength. We don't go in the best circumstance. We go in the name of God, and that is all the credentials it's going to take. And listen, doesn't that give you just a little bit of freedom? Doesn't that for a moment just take the weight off? That even though we just completed this great apologetics series where you and I are growing in our understanding of what it looks like to be able to well defend and articulate the why we believe, the what we believe. But listen, I am so relieved to know that in the conversations I'm going to have as I go and make disciples, because Jesus said to and promised he'd be with me, that it's not contingent or dependent upon me. I don't go in the name of Connor Bales. I go in the name of God, and so do you. So, like, um, 
Last January, I think it was, we went uh, to Dallas as a staff, had a great staff retreat, and just got away for a couple of days, were able to uh, decompress as a, as a staff family and able to uh, game plan uh, what our year of ministry was going uh, to, to be, and uh, it was just an awesome time for us uh, as a staff to, to grow together. And one of the things that we got to do was go to a Mavericks game, and uh, it was a, a lot of fun, and, and one of the things that made it so unique is that... Um, uh, uh, we have a relationship with the chaplain uh, for the Dallas Mavericks. He's a friend of ours. And so we were able to reach out to him, and he was able to uh, take a couple of us uh, uh, downstairs in the American Airlines Center, and he was able to take us uh, into the Mavericks locker room. We were able to meet uh, Donnie Nelson, who's the president and general manager of, of basketball operations for the team. We were able to get uh, right next to the players as they were moving in and out of the locker room. I was able to take pictures in front of Nowitzki's locker I mean, it was an unbelievable experience. And as cool as we think we are, with all of the security at the American Airlines Center, we couldn't go anywhere on our own merit. It didn't matter how much we smiled, how handsome Pastor Todd happens to be, none of it. We couldn't go until we had our friend with us, and he had all the credentials that were needed to get us everywhere we wanted to go. Okay, well, listen. As followers of Jesus Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit, the God of the universe who has all authority on heaven and earth, he, he is the very credentials that you take when you go and make disciples. You're not trying to flash your name or your background or your pedigree or your knowledge or your understanding or your gifting or your goodness. Listen, you don't go in your name. We go in his. And guess what? That changes everything. That, that gives us access anywhere, anytime, because we go in the name of God. Which leads me to the last thing. So... We understand the why we go. We've seen the how we go. But let's talk about now the what we go to do. This what we go to do, I would argue, is the primary calling of every Christian, every follower of Jesus Christ, everywhere, all of the time. This is the expectation of God on every single person who would call themselves a follower of Christ. You ready? Go therefore and make disciples. What we go to do is simple. It is make disciples. At uh, New Beginnings here, when we teach our new members workshop, we talk about as a church family that we believe in the mission and the vision and the values of our church. The mission uh, of, of our church is not unique to New Beginnings because it is the mission of every Christian everywhere all of the time. And do you know what the mission of every Christian everywhere all of the time happens to be? Make disciples. And so that's not unique to us. That's not a part of who we are at New Beginnings that is any different from any orthodox, historical, biblical, Christian fellowship of faith. We are called as followers of Jesus to make disciples. Now, 
our vision is unique to us, and it helps us to fulfill our mission in our context. And our values are the strategies that we deploy that help us to succeed in the vision God has given for our church. But the mission of God for every person who calls Jesus their Lord is to make disciples. And here's why this matters. Because statistically, it is not getting done today. Statistically, we are not being obedient in our primary calling to go and to make disciples. That translation, go therefore, it could also be rendered as as you go. The idea is as you're living, as you're going, as you're moving, as you're working, as you're serving, make disciples. And can I be honest and love you well enough to tell you, we stink at it. We are not doing the very thing, the primary imperative that God expects of His church. And, and I want to I just tell you, this command of God, it's not optional. It's not circumstantial. It's not temporal. It is eternal. And it is the ultimate expectation of God. And, and, and so let me see if I can help us navigate a couple of hurdles that we see most often that are barriers of sort, uh, keeping people from being obedient in this primary calling of God to go and make disciples. I'll give you three hurdles that I see most often, which serve as a hindrance from our making disciples and sharing our faith. The first is this. We see this command as optional. We see this command as optional. Some Christians will live as though they can be faithful in other areas of their life at the expense of being faithful in this one. Some Christians live as though they can be Faithful in other areas of their life at the expense of being faithful in this one. Let me see if I can explain. So we would say, well, I'm just going to be extra generous financially. Or I'm going to be um, extra faithful in serving. Or I'm, I'm going to be uh, extra committed in my prayer. Or I'm going to be extra devoted in my scripture memory and Bible study. Listen, all of those things are good. But we can't champion one of those things at the expense of another. And the primary calling for every Christian everywhere all the time is to make disciples. And so the body doesn't develop as it should if we are exercising one part at the expense of another. Like think about if you go to the gym and uh, the only body part you decide you're going to work out is bicep curls right? So you just go in the gym every day, and the only thing you do is bicep curls. And by the way, fellas, we see you. You got to mix a squat in every now and then, okay? I'm just saying, upper body only is only good for so long. And by the way, I just think I should just say this because I'm leaving. What are you going to do? But if you're the guy or the girl that grunts at the gym, just stop, okay? We get it. I'm on the elliptical, but you're annoying me, so just enough, okay? But here's the thing. If the only exercise you do is the bicep curl, then you're going to have a weird-shaped body. 
And we're laughing at you, not with you. Well, so, so it is if this is an area of our life that we are sacrificing at the expense of justifying by working out all of the other ones instead. So it's not optional. But here's the second hurdle that I see. We'll, we will see the command as circumstantial. As circumstantial. Um, other believers live as though they can only share their faith if the right opportunity at the perfect time presents itself. But try applying that logic to dating and see how far it gets you. Right? Like no, none of us that are, that are in a relationship uh, asked our significant other out uh, only when there was background music and a full moon and the stars lined up just right and the roses were in blue, right? I mean, like Luther Vandross wasn't playing. Lionel Richie wasn't on in the background when I asked Mary out for the first time. If you're under the age of 40, I'm sorry. I got nothing, but I don't know who. <laughs> I don't know who you listen to, okay? In fact, the first time I asked Mary out, she stopped me and said, I'm going to introduce you to my little sis in the sorority. I think y'all make a cute couple. And I was like, are you nuts? I was like, I want to date you. And she's like, I got a boyfriend. I was like, we can fix that. <laughs> she got five of my kids, y'all. <laughs> I won. <laughs> so listen, the first time I asked her out, Lionel Richie wasn't playing. The stars weren't lined up. The setting wasn't just right. I just knew what I wanted, which was my girl. Listen, brothers and sisters, we can't treat this primary calling to evangelize as though it is dependent upon the perfect moment, that we have the perfect words, that it's the perfect backdrop and setting. Sometimes we've just got to have the boldness or the courage or the obedience to step up and to share what God has done in our life. So it's not circumstantial. And, and then lastly, I would say the, the other hurdle I see is we, we will treat the command as though it's temporal. Uh, a few Christians live and act as though evangelism is for certain seasons of, the life, of their life only. Younger brothers and sisters will say things like, uh, I don't know enough yet to share. I'll wait until I got more knowledge and experience and then I'll begin to practice this. Older brothers and sisters say things like, I don't have the energy or the time that it takes to make the investment with people far from God. I'll leave this work up to the younger people in the church. Listen, if God is in charge and he's just told us that all authority belongs to him. So if God is in fact in charge, then the right time is any time that the Lord brings an opportunity. Any time. I've seen people come to faith in church services in hospital rooms, basketball gyms, front porches of their homes, front seats of their car. I've seen people come to faith in restaurants. I've seen people come to, to faith in Longview, Texas, and in Kigali, Rwanda. Just in the last month, I've seen Jesus draw people to salvation in the corner office of a friend at this church and at Corner Bakery off of 259. Why? Because the calling of God to make disciples is not temporal, it's eternal. And, and so listen, if you are new in the faith, 
and you are one of those ones who's tempted to say, well, I don't know enough yet. I don't have enough experience yet. Well, let me just occur. If Jesus Christ changed your life, then share with someone who is far from God how to see if he might change theirs. And if you are older in your faith, more mature in your relationship with God, then you have a lifetime of evidences of God's grace that you can point back to and tell other people about the ways in which he's shown up. But either way, you can be obedient to the calling of God on every Christian everywhere all the time, which is to go and make disciples. And so if we're called to make disciples, when disciples are made, and I believe that is God's plan for reconciling all things to himself, then what should it look like after that? Well, I want to point to two things that Jesus says. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Again, this is the reason why we send our people across the street and why we send our people around the world. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I commanded. So let's talk about those two things. The first is, when disciples are made, then disciples should be baptized. When disciples are made, then disciples should be baptized. We cannot afford to divorce the significance of baptism from salvation. So again, let's be clear. While salvation is not predicated upon baptism, baptism, at least according to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, are what saved disciples do. And listen, there appears to be an immediacy to their doing it. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them. So if a disciple has been made, then that disciple should be baptized. And there doesn't seem to be this extended waiting period that the church today seems to wrestle with. I think God would be appalled if he could show up in our midst and have a conversation with us about the insignificance that baptism plays in the life of those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. We've somehow divorced the significance of baptism from salvation. And so while it is not predicated upon baptism, salvation uh, or baptism is what saved people do immediately. Like think about the The strangeness there would be if at your wedding ceremony you state your vows and make this covenant commitment to your significant other and then when it comes to the exchanging of the rings you say, hang on. I don't don't know that I want to wear the ring for a while. I'm going to wait and see. I don't have to wear the ring. I already said the vows, right? We're good. I don't want to wear the ring. Like, that, like, okay, if your spouse does that, come see us. Because that's weird. That's a problem. But brothers and sisters, we do that all the time. Some of you in the room this morning have come to faith in Jesus Christ at some point in your life. And listen, I don't know if it was a light switch or a dimmer switch. But if you're standing in the bright light of God, then you've been saved. Okay? And you have not yet been baptized. And I don't know why. I don't know what you're waiting on. 
But if God has changed your life, then according to the command of Christ, you are to be baptized in response to that. At the 930 hour, we had a young lady named Libby. And regardless of what I said, because she was obedient in baptism, she preached the sermon today. When a person goes under the water and is baptized, we get to say that you are buried with Christ. His death becomes your death for your sin. And when we celebrate because they come up out of the water, then we say you've been raised to walk in the newness of everlasting life because you are united with Jesus in his death and that much more united with him in his everlasting life. This is the reason why baptism matters. And according to the command of Christ, why it should happen immediately after a disciple is made. And so listen, if you're here today and you have not yet been baptized, then all you have to do is indicate um, on uh, one of the cards that's in the seat back in front of you, nearby you, or you can stop by Guest Central as we're dismissed. And you can tell somebody, hey, that that tall guy that yells a lot told me I need to be baptized and I want to do that. Great. We would love to have a conversation with you and then celebrate with you what God has done in you. The second thing Jesus says is that once a disciple is made, they're baptized and then teaching, teaching disciples all that I have commanded you. So the life with Jesus is a life marked by learning from Jesus. We must read God's word and obey it, sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word so we grow in our understanding of it. This is what real discipleship looks like. And for us here at New Beginnings, if you're a guest or haven't been attending for very long, the primary vehicle that we utilize for teaching the Word of God is our life groups. And I want to say, and I know Pastor Todd would agree, if you have not yet moved from this big room into the small room, If you have not yet experienced a life group here at New Beginnings, then you are forfeiting the greatest blessing that God has given in our church. And I'm telling you that as one of the primary communicators in our church. Life group is where it's at. It's where we develop real, genuine relationships, where we grow in our authenticity, but we do so grounded upon the Word of God, which is what Jesus said we should. Make disciples and teach. Well, listen, the instruction of God is in the book that he's written. And and so if you're here today and you're not connected in the life group, as we start this new summer series, this is the best time for you to do that. All you have to do is stop by Guest Central, find one of us after service concludes, and we would love to get you connected. Life group's like a good shoe. Sometimes you got to wear it for a while before you find out if it's a fit. But I promise you, we got some smelly ones and we got some that are perfect. And we'll help you find the right one. Some of you are like, smelly ones, that's probably yours, and I just haven't told you. But again, let's think this through in regard to how this word applies to us. Ask yourself this question, what specifically is God saying to me today? Isn't that the point? That when we come in here, we we, got to learn from God because God is teaching us. So what is specifically God saying to me today? The why we go and the how we go are built around and held together by the what we go to do. And so I want to ask you a question. What is God calling you to do? What is God, everyone in this room, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you would claim that Jesus is your Lord, what is he calling you to do? Or let me ask it this way. Who's your one.
again, just imagine how much God might change our family tree, our communities, our classrooms, our neighborhoods, if we would be willing to take seriously this command to go and make disciples. What would it look like if every person that calls New Beginnings home was willing to identify one other person that they would pray about and share their faith with? In a seat back nearby you or on one of the chairs in front of you, you will find a card that looks like this. I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to put your hands on this card right now. Just find one of these in the seat back nearby you. They're on a, a chair seat in front of you. Just grab one of these cards. I'm going to ask all of you if you would do this. And if you have this card, if you would just hold it up for just a moment. I promise not to belabor. Just hold it up for just a moment. Okay. Um, this card is perforated so that you might be able to write the name of at least one person um, in this section on the top and that you could tear that off and hold on to that. And, and then write the same name of that person on the bottom. And when we receive our offering a little later in this morning service, if you would just tear that off and drop that in the basket as it passes by. Some of you, since we started this conversation today, God has given you the name in your head that you are supposed to share with. You already know who your one is. Others of you, maybe you need to take the rest of the day or the next couple of weeks and pray through who God wants you to identify so that you can share. But if you already have the name of that person, then would you drop that in the basket today? And if you still need to pray about that, then in the weeks ahead, you can do that in one of our services then. But I just believe that you and I should take seriously God's word, don't you? Well, his word says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So listen, the why we go and the how we go are built around and held together by the what we go to do. Family, I love you for all the ways that you have loved me. And I am asking you to take seriously this command of God with me to go and make disciples. Who's your one? Who's your one? Let's pray. As we enter into this time of response and worship, um, there'll be some staff members and spouses here at the front of the room. We would love to pray with you if God has laid a name on your heart. We would love to pray with you about who that is. Um, ask God for opportunities for you to share, obedience for you to walk through the open doors. If you have an issue in your life, an area where you need God to intervene, just come and let our staff minister to you and, and pray for you. Because again, when I say amen, we're going to have an opportunity to worship the God who saved us. And we're going to have an opportunity to be obedient to tell other people about him. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for loving us. The greatest evidence of your love for us is that you sent Jesus 
And so, God, thank you for Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. Thank you for New Beginnings Baptist Church and what they mean to me. I pray, God, that we would take seriously your word, which says, go and make disciples. Help us to be obedient in this primary calling that you have placed on our life. We love you. We trust you. And therefore, it is in our faith that we ask this from you. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.